we'll talk about a subject that is very commonly addressed in Van Wallebrand. Many people think that hemophilia is a disease of males and Van Wallebrand is a disease of females. It is not true. It is not true because the incidence is equal in males and females, but women are more prone to have early symptoms. For men, the only time I hear a man, he say, when I shave, I cut myself a little bit, and it takes long time to, that could be normal. <laughs> For women, the childbirth issue, the monthly period issue, all of these are flags. And that all called for early diagnosis. And that's why people thought that it's a disease of women. So, if you remember, we talk about the index case. The little girl, the four years old girl, 80 years ago was a female, and several, 16 of 23 of her family were all females. So that tells you why it is diagnosed more in females. Now, until 10 years ago, nobody believed that Van Wallebrand type 1 is really that affects the quality of life of women. And now we know that it does. It does affect the quality of life. It causes bleed, heavy menorrhagia, heavy bleed menstrual period, and many times it ended. The last decade, if you look at the literature, there were so many times that women undergone hysterectomy at the age of 30, 40, and 50 unnecessarily because they couldn't control the bleed. This doesn't happen anymore. It is there are so many medications that can be given to the young lady with, for her period, just for the first four days of the period, and it will, will make her period completely normal. All right. Now, 80% of people with Van Willebrand have menorrhagia, which is a very, very common. 20% of them, they have undergone surgery as a mean of treatment for this condition. Now, the other way around, that 7 to 20% of women presents with symptoms of menorrhagia are found to have Van Wallebrand disease. So again, it's a significant number. Now, we can, many times, when I sit with the patient and take the history, you could have an idea right away whether it is Van Wallebrand or something else. Why? She has menorrhagia, very typical increased flow and frequency, but she has also three other elements that all support the, the issue. One of them, she has nosebleed on the top of that. So that tells you it is not a local issue. There's something going on. The second thing, the menorrhagia started from the time of puberty. And that's another thing that enforces it. And the third one, the menorrhagia, the bleed is regular with ovulation. So these three together, with the symptoms of menorrhagia, tell you that 90% you are dealing with Van Wallebrand. Then I get the results and it's normal or no normal. I said, okay, just go home, we'll repeat it in a month. We do it in a month, two months, and it comes one day, one day it comes right away and it shows you that's what it is. All right. Now, the Van Wallebrand factor level is the lowest during the menstrual period first four days. And many people, old literature tell you this is the best time to do the test. Well, it's, it's proved that it's not really practical. It is highest day nine to 10, which, you know, you got some young ladies come 
on birth control pills and they, about the 10 days of their period or something like this, that two together will probably mask the, the condition. Because we know that birth control pills will raise the uh, vulnerable prime factor and day 10 is the highest anyhow, so we can miss it. So we try to avoid doing the test at that time. Now, this is, is a medication that has been for probably 40 years. I'm sure you, all of you is aware of Amicar. Amicar has been for 50 years or longer. Now a smart company, which makes the competitor of Amicar, tranexamic acid, getting smarter. Why are they getting smarter? You know, when you give Amicar, you give 10, 15 bills every six hours, which is really awesome. These people came up with a pill that is concentrated one pill a day or twice a day, one pill twice a day for four or five days and it will control the bleed very well. And it was approved in Europe and now it's approved in the United States. So tranexic acid might help better than DDAVB, might help better than hormone for the bleeding for the menorrhagia. All right. How do we test the patients when they come with these symptoms? Well, again, I don't want to go into details, but there are screening tests that all the doctors, primary care physician, everybody would do PT, PTT, platelet count, and bleeding time, which we don't do anymore. And if these are all of these, you should be normal in Valoliprane, except bleeding time, which unfortunately nobody does it anymore, because as you know, time is now for computers to work and mechanical thing, and we don't have a, a, a nurse or a technician specialist to sit down and make a cut and start drying the no, drop by drop, wasting two hours a day. So they said it's not good test. It's the best test. It is the best test for that, but nobody is doing it anymore. It's gone. So they came up with something called BF100. It's a machine that could do the job there. We do it right away. It's not as good as bleeding time, but it works and most of the patients with valoliprane condition will have abnormalities in the platelet function analyzer. You said bleeding time is the best test, but the room conditions can make it inaccurate. The what? The room conditions, if it's hot or cold, can make the test inaccurate. Well, they have to be, the room temperature doesn't make it, no. The, 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 the technician who does the bleeding time should be one technician that has been trained to do that. He's the only one who does that all the time. You can't bring somebody and tell him do a bleeding time. But I don't think the temperature is, is an issue there. But again, it's all our tests that are manual are gone. Nobody is doing sitting and counting white cells under the microscope anymore. They put it in the computer and get the answer. And they miss a lot of things, but that's how it is. Now, there are specific tests that we do and we depend on mainly, which are the Van Wallebran panel, we call it. It's a three test. The Van Wallebran protein, the functional part, the Van Wallebran antigen, and the factor eight. We do three of them, and nine out of 10 times, if the patient has a little severe vanwalibran, it will be picked from the first time. If it is borderline, you probably need to do it twice or three times. All right. Now, when we talk about the multimers, just to show you how the multimers are read, and to show you that mistakes could be made, and many times, the lab send me the results and tell me we couldn't find the large molecular weight, it's not there. I look at the case, it doesn't sound like type two. I call them back, I said, please, look again. They look again and they call me back, oh yeah, we find them, it's there. Just to show you what, this is a normal individual. These are the low molecular weight. Uh, by the way, this is a blood 
that is run on electrical field. We call it protein electrophoresis. It runs on the electrical field and it depends on the molecular weight of each one that where it sits. So the normal individual have the low molecular weight here, the middle ones here, and the larger one there. This is normal. We look at the patient with type 3, we find nothing there, no protein. Type 1, all of them are there, but they are very faint. Now, we have the condition called TTB, thrombotic thrombocytopenic perbora. Patients come with low platelets and get stroke. Why they get stroke? They have very high, lar very large size van Willebrand protein. I showed you the factor, the enzyme that digests it. We call it ADAM13. These patients either lacking that or get antibody to the enzyme. And we see probably six, seven cases a year. They come with stroke because of this. So luckily enough, it's not common at all. So you can see, but mistake could be done by looking, are they large ones? Here's the normal, and here is the one that is have too many, and here is the one that have lower. You know, it's not easy. It has to be a trained technician to know exactly whether they are there or not. Now, many people ask, can we do DNA studies to diagnose the disease? No, we cannot. Why? Because in virally brand type 1, there is probably 400 type of mutation. You can see abnormalities on the gene all over the place. And nobody has a probe for every one of them. So it's not practical at all. When do we do it? Whenever we are in trouble for genetic counseling, for issues that are, could be managed and could be uh, you know, dealt with if we know exactly what the diagnosis. Like the type 2N we mentioned, that we have to differentiate it from hemophilia. And that type, yes, probably DNA study could help. Type 2B, that we have low platelets, and is it low platelet disease or it is Van Willebrand? We could do that. Next, please. And you see here, in type 1, there's 144 mutations, 144 different changes in the gene that could cause that and in type 2A86 and so on. 